Listen to me in silence, O coastlands. Let the peoples renew their strength. Let them approach, then let them speak. Let us together draw near for judgment. Who stirred up one from the east, whom victory meets at every step? He gives up nations before him, so that he tramples kings underfoot. He makes them like dust with his sword, like driven stubble with his bow. He pursues them and passes on safely by paths his feet have not trod. Who has performed and done this, calling the generations from the beginning? I, the Lord, the first, and with the last, I am he. The coastlands have seen and are afraid. The ends of the earth tremble. They have drawn near and come. Everyone helps his neighbor and says to his brother, Be strong. The craftsman strengthens the goldsmith, and he who smooths with a hammer, him who strikes the anvil, saying of the soldering, It is good. And they strengthen it with nails so that it cannot be moved. But you... Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the offspring of Abraham, my friend, you whom I took from the ends of the earth and called from the farthest corners, saying to you, you are my servant, I have chosen you and not cast you off, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God, I will strengthen you, I will help you, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Hand. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. We're making our way through a series in Isaiah in which we're uh, looking at gospel truths in the midst of anxious times. And we've been looking at the fact that Isaiah was writing to the people of Judah around 700 BC, so about 130 years before Babylon, the Babylonian Empire, would come in, Jerusalem would be assaulted, the people of God would be conquered and carried off into exile. So, so. Isaiah is writing to these people 130 or so years before the fact so that God can provide comfort to his people while they are in exile. So that's what we've been looking at the last few weeks as we looked at Isaiah chapter 40. Now we move into Isaiah chapter 41 and we see a new wrinkle in world events that are going to take place again now 150 or more years down the road. So Isaiah is writing here, not just to God's people, to Judah, but ultimately to all who will read and listen, including their captors, the Babylonians, about something that is going to happen on the global scale. The, the mighty Persian Empire is going to rise up. Cyrus the Great is going to come in. The Babylonians are going to be conquered. And so even again here, 150 years before the fact, around 529 B.C. is when Cyrus and the Persian Empire will make their way through and conquer the Babylonians. It's amazing. Before all that happens, God is saying, not just to his people, but to all who will listen, trust in me. Find your strength in me. I'm actually the one who is behind current events anyway, so... Put your trust and your confidence in me. That's the message of Isaiah chapter 41. Fear not, O coastlands. Listen, everyone, to this great message 
that I have for you in the midst of circumstances that are beyond your control. Because that's really the way that they would have felt. Imagine you're a person of God, a person from Judah, in captivity in Babylon, and now your captors are afraid. I mean, if ever circumstances felt like they were out of control, it felt that way for them to be sure. And we know something of what it feels like to have circumstances feel like they're out of control on a global scale, let alone a personal one. Uh, you know, whether you felt like the world was spiraling out of control under Trump or will spiral out of control under Biden, the fact of the matter is you as an individual have no control over the course of human history. You don't. I mean, you got your vote, but you can't do anything else to affect the course of human history. At least that's true for most of us, all of us, I think, in this room. When it comes to the pandemic, we can and we each must do our part to prevent its spread. But as individuals, we can't do anything about what's happening in our own neighborhoods. We are powerless to impact what's happening in the county, in the city, in the state, in the nation, in the world. Other than just doing our little part, we cannot make it change. We can't control whether or not we'll see a shutdown. We can't control how Wall Street will respond to it if we do. Anybody remember the good old days when all we had to worry about was thermonuclear war? Right? <laughs> what is going on? Circumstances feel like they are out of control on a global scale. And of course, that's true individually as well. What do you do when the circumstances of your own life feel like they're out of control. What do you do when you don't see any way forward? Well, Isaiah 41 answers that question for us. There's a gracious invitation in this passage, a global invitation that is gracious, in this passage to put your trust in the Lord. There's a gracious reminder even, really, that God is the one who's in control and that he's going to accomplish his good purpose even through the worst of global despots. And then there's the comfort of knowing for those who would look to Jesus Christ in faith, knowing that the God of Israel is with them to comfort them, to help them, and to hold them through it all. So we're going to look at this passage, these first ten verses under the following three headings. First, the gracious invitation of God. Second, the folly of fleeing from God. And then third, the comfort of being held and helped by God. So the gracious invitation of God, the folly of fleeing from God, and the comfort of being held and helped by God. But first, let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to this passage this morning, we pray that you would be moving in our hearts and in our midst by your Spirit. Lord, that you would bring to life the glorious truths that are here in this passage. That you would comfort all of us who are anxious. Because, oh God, we are facing circumstances that are beyond our control. But help us remember that they are not beyond yours. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Alright, so the gracious invitation, and you see it in the first verse. Listen to me in silence, O coastlands, let the peoples renew their strength. Let them approach, let them speak, let us together draw near for judgment. Now, when you read about the coastlands in Isaiah, or the peoples, plural, in Isaiah, he's not targeting here the people of Judah. This isn't a message right here in these first uh, seven verses that are going to exclusively the people of God. This is going to the nations. This is the gospel right here in Isaiah chapter 41. It is the good news about God's grace going to even those who are holding God's people in captivity. This is grace. This is an invitation. God says through Isaiah, Listen to me in silence, O coastlands. Let the people renew their strength. Let them approach. Let them speak. Let us together draw near for judgment. There's an echo here. What's happening here is similar to what Isaiah is saying or said back in Isaiah chapter 1 verse 18. Right? Come let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. It's the same kind of language here, but now directed to the nations and not just to God's people. So when you read about, uh, you know, let us together draw near for judgment, that's, that's not so much God saying, I'm going to judge you, O people, O, you know, enemies of my people, O nations. That's like the courtroom aspect, that, that courtroom scene, if you will, that we looked at next week, or last week in the last part of Isaiah 40. This is God saying, let's come together and determine what the verdict, what the outcome of the case should be for you. Alright? Come let us reason together, O coastlands. Come and consider the grace that I offer to you. Now how do we know that there's grace being offered here? It's because of what God says through Isaiah right there in the second line of verse 1. Let the peoples renew their strength. Now that should sound familiar because we just read those words back at the end of Isaiah chapter 40 in verse 31. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. It's the same words in the English because it's the same words in the Hebrew. This is an invitation to the nations to enjoy the blessings of the God of Israel. This is the gospel. I love the fact that that God says through Isaiah, let them approach, then let them speak. Let us together draw near for judgment. You realize this is an invitation to think it all through. This isn't a call to blind faith. This is a call to go ahead and consider why it might be true that the God of Israel is the one true God. That the God of the Bible is the God who is. That reality can be understood in light of Him and what He's doing in the world. That all the arguments that are raised against the existence of God ultimately cannot stand. God is saying to the nations, hey, let's think this through together. (laughs) So, If you are someone who is not a follower of Jesus Christ, here in the room or watching right now, let me encourage you to receive this gracious invitation. Faith in God is never blind faith. It's never a leap in the dark. It always stands on the shoulders of thought, of reason, of thinking things through. And so God is inviting you in this passage to think things through. Think about the way that you've been living up to this point, the things that you've been pursuing that have resulted in nothing, that have been like a grasping of the air. And God says instead, consider what it would mean to know me, the God who is. 
The God in whom all things have their being and hold together. The God in whom history makes sense. The God who is directing history to a good outcome. Come let us reason together, O nations. Let's think this through together, those who have not yet put their hope in Jesus Christ. That's the gracious invitation right here in verse 1. But the question might arise, how do we know that this God who is making this invitation could actually deliver on his promise? What kind of authority does he have? What kind of power does he have? Is he really in control over the course of history? And so that's where we go in verses 2 through 4. God answers that question that may be raised as to whether or not God can deliver on the promise. And we see in verse 2 and 3 something that will only become clear later in chapters 44 and following in Isaiah. And that is the identity of this one from the east. So let's look at it real quick. Who stirred up one from the east whom victory meets at every step? He gives up nations before him so that he tramples kings underfoot. He makes them like dust with his sword, like driven stubble with his bow. He pursues them and passes on safely by paths his feet have not trod. Alright, so in Isaiah, the one from the east is Cyrus. This is the Persian Empire that's going to rise up and overthrow the Babylonian Empire. Now Cyrus is ultimately going to be the one who says to God's people in captivity, you can go home. So in a way, what, what Cyrus was doing here as God raised him up was actually bringing judgment on the Babylonians and freeing from captivity God's people. But this is the one from the east. It's Cyrus who is coming. Now, whom victory meets at every step is the second line in verse 2. One of the things that was uh, known, the, Babylon, I'm sorry, the, the Persian Empire and their conquests were known for was absolutely unhindered advancement. I was going to say progress, but it didn't feel like progress to the people who were being overthrown by the Persians. It's blitzkrieg. It happened here first with the Persians. No one could stop them. When you get down to uh, verse 3, he pursues them and passes on safely by paths his feet have not trod. What that actually means, more literally, is it was like his feet weren't even touching the ground. He was advancing so fast. Now the question arises in verse 2, Who stirred up one from the east whom victory meets at every step? God is saying, I am. In the third line of verse 2, He gives up nations before Him. Who is the He who gives up nations? It's the ruler of the world. It's God. Who is the Him that the nations are given up before? Well, in this instance, that's Cyrus. But look down with me at verse 4. Who has performed and done this, calling the generations from the beginning? I, the Lord, the first, and with the last, I am He. In other words, throughout all of history, God is the one who is ruling and directing history in order to accomplish His good purpose to redeem the world, to bring judgment on sin, and ultimately to rescue His people and have them for Himself. What then does that mean right now if you are a Christian in America? 
Well, a Christian who felt like the world was going to end under a Trump presidency or may now fear it will end under a Biden presidency has failed to take into account the sovereignty of God. God is in control. He is on His throne. Cyrus was a leader bent on global domination. But behind the Cyruses of history... There is the ruler of history. Behind the evil intentions of wicked rulers, and this is a mystery of God's sovereignty that we don't have time to get into, Cyrus and all Cyruses of history are responsible for their evil. God is not the author of their evil. They are responsible for their actions. They had agency in their choices. And yet God is the one who directs and upholds who works all things together for good, even on a global scale. In ways that we can't fathom or comprehend, because His ways are higher than our ways. As Isaiah tells us in Isaiah chapter 55. Behind the evil intentions of wicked rulers, there is a good God who overrules. Who is working all things together for good. How should People respond. Remember the invitation. Listen to me in silence, O coastlands. How should people respond? By trusting Him. By fleeing to Him. The Christian's confidence in crisis, in any crisis, be it global or personal, is that God is on the move in the midst of it. No evil can stay his hand or thwart his plan. He will accomplish his good purpose. The redemption of all things. The judgment of evil. The rescue of his people. Jesus said in Revelation 21 verse 5, Behold, I am making all things new. And the Cyruses of this world will not get in the way. The invitation then is to flee to God for strength. But how do people respond? Well, we see that in verses 5 through 7. We're going to look there at the folly of fleeing from God. Let's read it. The coastlands have seen and are afraid. The ends of the earth tremble. They have drawn near and come. Everyone helps his neighbor and says to his brother, Be strong! The craftsman strengthens the goldsmith, and he who smooths with the hammer, him who strikes the anvil, saying of the soldering, is good, and they strengthen it with nails so that it cannot be moved. They flee to their idols. The best that they can produce, the best that human ingenuity can come up with, yet remain stuff of the earth. And not only that, it's it's not just the product of human ingenuity, it's the product of human fear. They're defensive in posture. All they can do, those who fashion these idols, hope can do, is withstand the circumstances that are pressing upon them that they have no control over. It's like a defense mechanism. Hopefully behind this idol we can stand against the onslaught of the Cyruses of this world or the Cyruses that are rising up in our own heart, the trials, the temptation that we face. Hopefully this idol will be our defense, but we better nail it down so it doesn't fall over. That's what's happening. 
We craft this elaborate idol and then we nail it down so it doesn't topple over. Because nothing that we can come up with can stand against the uncertainty of the circumstances we face in this world. Did you hear that? Nothing that we look to, nothing that we put our hope in, not the work of our hands, will be able to keep from toppling in the face of circumstances that we cannot control. And guess what? There are a lot of them. A lot of things in this life. (laughs) That we can't control. And yet, we fashion idols. Again, not little statues that we nail in place. Oh, but there are things that we look to that we are convinced will never fall. A great marriage, a healthy family life, successful career, working out every day, eating well, wearing a mask. All these things that we think if we do them surely won't fail us ultimately cannot withstand the circumstances that are beyond our control, which are legion. It is folly to run to the idols that we create rather than run to the God who is. Especially so in light of the verses that we're going to finish up with this morning in verses 8 through 10. So take a look there at the comfort of being held and helped by God. And I just want to slow down in these verses and just consider what God is saying here to his people. And if your trust is in Jesus Christ, this is for you. You've been grafted into the people of God. Everything that God says in this passage about his people of Judah who are in exile in Babylon, he is saying to you in this season of your life, if you will put your trust in him. But you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the offspring of Abraham, my friend. Israel is chosen by God. Chosen by God. Back in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 6 through 8, here's Moses talking to now the children of the Exodus. So God had brought the people out of Egypt. All the adults of the Exodus generation had ignored God when God said, go in and take the land. And the spies came back and ten of them said, let's do it. And two said, no, two said, let's do it. And the rest said, no way. Right? And then they were forced to wander in the wilderness for 40 years until the children of the Exodus rose up. And there they are on the edge of the promised land. In Deuteronomy, Moses is talking to them. And in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 6 through 8, he says to them, Listen, I want you to know why God chose you. God chose you because he loves you. Not because you are great. Remember, you were slaves in Egypt. God chose you because he loved you. Oh, why does he love us? Well, he loves you because he loves you. They were chosen just because God is a God who loves. And he loves to raise up and provide help to the weak and to the weary and those who know they can't see their way through. And that's not just Israel, that's every one of us. 
They're chosen by God. Israel is called by God. Look at verse 9. You whom I took from the ends of the earth and called from its farthest corners, saying to you, you are my servant. God called Abram out of Ur. God called Israel out of Egypt. He calls people out of darkness into his light. God says at the end of verse 9, I have chosen you and not cast you off. And the, the, the verb there is a perfect, it's tense. It is a perfect of determination. So what God is saying here is, I have determined not to cast you off. This is settled in my mind. No matter what you do or where you go. Right? I'm like the mama to the runaway bunny. You run, I'm going to come after you. I'm not going to let you go. Why? Because I love you. Why do you love me? Just because I love you. Determined not to cast you off. Verse 10, God tells us that He is with His people. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. That word dismayed, it more literally means to be darting, you know, looking back and forth, like looking for shelter, looking for safety, kind of eyes darting here and there and not finding it. And God says, wait a minute, I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you. And I'm your God. I'm personally concerned for you. God is with His people, His presence. He is their God. It speaks to His commitment and His people. You, if you are one who has put your trust in Jesus, need not fear. In the face of circumstances that are beyond your control, need not be dismayed. God is your shelter. God is your refuge. God is your rock. Trust in Him. Finally, in verse 10, God is your help. Fear not, I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. That phrase, righteous right hand, it's an anthropomorphism. It's a way of helping us understand what God is like using human terms. God doesn't have a hand. But the hand has to do with personal agency. I'm a lefty. I'm holding out my left hand. If I were a righty, I'd be holding out my right hand. The right hand is the hand of strength. For those of us who are lefties, it's our left hand. But anyway, getting back. The right hand is the, the hand of strength. So strong agency in the world. God says, my right hand is a righteous right hand. It is effectively working my righteous purpose in the world on your behalf. His righteous right hand. In fact, coming back to that uh, you know, perfect tense of verbs, you see that in strength and help and uphold. I have determined to strengthen you. I have determined to help you. I have determined that I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. God is saying in unequivocal terms, I am not going to let you go. Oh, you're going to feel like everything's out of control, but I am right here with you. So trust me. Find your refuge in me. I love the way Alec Matir translated verse 10. Great um, Old Testament scholar who's now with the Lord. He translated verse 10 like this. Do not fear, for I am really with you. Do not look this way and that, for I am your God. I will make you resolute. More, I will help you. More still, 
I will grip you with the right hand of my righteousness. What are the implications of that? The God who directs the affairs of history in order to accomplish His purpose in the world is the God who directs the affairs of your own heart and has brought you to this place right now so that you can put your trust in Him. Now that is true if you are not a Christian believer. You may need time to listen, O coastlands, and draw near, to reason together with the Lord, to search things out. And I want to encourage you to do that. But know that the invitation stands right now. You don't have to have it all figured out to put your trust in God. In fact, Jesus pointed out that unless you come to Him like a little child, just simple trust, simple faith, you cannot be saved. So yes, think it through. Yes, wrestle with your questions. But in the end, know that it doesn't take any great power within you It takes simple trust in the God who is there. That is true if you are not a Christian believer. It is true, let me remind you, if you are one. It's so easy to get caught up in the circumstances of this world. It's so easy to get caught up in the circumstances of our individual lives and forget that God is the one who rules history. He is the one who has invited you to reason together with Him and remember that He will uphold you, that He is determined to strengthen you, that He is determined to never let you out of His grip. How do we know that that's true? Do you remember the the great gospel story where Peter walks on the water out to Jesus? He steps out full of faith and sinks like a rock. And Jesus reaches out grabs him. That's you and I. We are forever stepping out of the boat, kind of forced out by circumstances that we can't control, forever feeling like we're sinking beneath the waves, and there's Jesus. We find that he's never actually let us go. (laughs) He's been holding our hand the whole time. It's not a question of whether we can reach up high enough and He can stretch far enough to get our hand as we begin to sink. We find that He's never, ever, ever let go. How do we know that's the case? How do we know that that rests not on our ability to hold on, but on His perfect love? It is because when Jesus went to the cross, the Father let go of His hand. He did not uphold him by his righteous right hand. Because achieving his purpose of righteousness in the world meant that that was the one hand that he had to let go of. And yet, on the third day, God raised him from the dead. So that those who put their trust in Jesus might know that he'll never let go. The gracious invitation. Let us reason together, O nations. Put your trust in the one who is the ruler of history. He is ever present with his own to help them and to hold them fast. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do pray that you would help us to remember this. Lord, our our biggest problem from day to day, from week to week, month to month and year to year, is not that we're not doing enough, we're not remembering enough. And Lord, what you call on us to remember is not the full scope of Christian theology is just the simple fact that you are good 
and you'll never ever let your own fall away. So Lord, help us to remember that you are a good and gracious God, that the events of world history are not beyond the scope of your concern, that you in fact are directing all things to a good and redemptive end. And Lord, help us to remember that you are ever with us to strengthen us along the way. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.